And I'm Rami. And this is Workplace Hugs, a podcast where we talk about interesting things that we've read or heard and how it relates to the workplace experience. Our goal here is really simple. It's to help all of us expand our workplace toolkit with a whole lot of empathy without a whole new degree. So we're purposefully going to talk about um, our concepts in different scenarios. First, we'll hit it on the very high level, explaining what it is we're talking about. Then we'll go into how we've experienced it at the lowest level in our workplaces. And lastly, we'll share some tips for you to consider taking back into your own workplace life. Rami, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more? Yes. So I'm Rami Gibran. I've worked in all sizes of companies from large to small, usually in newly developed roles. Uh, I'm basically the person in your office who you know does a bunch of different things, but you're not really sure what they do or what department they're in. I got my MBA a few years ago, and since then I've been working in smaller startups, trying to get in roles where I can be perpetually curious and build things out. Shannon, you are much more eloquent in describing yourself. What is it that is your background? <laughs> I don't think I am. I thought that was very eloquent. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm Shannon Schottler. I'm a leadership coach, coach based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, and I spent the first 10 years of my career working in four different Fortune 500s, manufacturing, retail, consumer packaged goods, you name it. I probably did it. A few years ago, though, I set the corporate life aside, favoring the flexibility found in entrepreneurship. And now I happily coach, consult, contract, and podcast. Podcast. the live long day. I love it. Shannon, you brought this one about primal leadership. It's a old Harvard Business Review article, or HBR, as you like to abbreviate. Yes. Uh, I'm sure most people do. So tell us about it. What's primal leadership? Yeah, so the article, Primal Leadership, Hidden Driver of Great Performance, argues that all the elements affecting bottom line performance, of all of them, the leader's mood and accompanying behaviors are the most impactful. So essentially, it's a case for emotional intelligence. And Rami, as I was like doing more research for this podcast today, I found a soundbite, if you will, that EQ, allegedly in the research, counts for twice as much as IQ and technical skills in determining who will be successful in the workplace. What do you think about that? I think that makes sense. <laughs> I've never like looked at my leadership. And this isn't to say that my leadership isn't incredibly smart, but I've never looked at them and been like, wow, there's such high IQs here and their technical skills are off the charts. I think when I think of good leadership, it does come down to EQ. And until you told me this fact, I wouldn't have ever said it that way. But I totally see that that is the case. Yeah, yeah. And at first, when I heard that statistics, I, I, I was surprised. I was, I was a little bit shocked. But I think I was shocked because of how much we devalue EQ when mm -hmm. hiring leaders, when choosing who to promote, when uh, rating like effectivity as a leader almost in the workplace. I don't think we... It has a lot of street cred. I think people see it as like a fluffy, soft, nice to have instead of the need to have that this article is claiming that it is. So let me ask this question. Whenever anyone interviews for any sort of role, they always get asked, tell me about a time when dot, 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 right? Yep. Like we can, we can agree that that is a standard uh, interview question. Yes. Behavioral based interviewing. Yes. So behavioral based interviewing though, isn't it, isn't it? intrinsically asking about EQ, whether or not the person is actually looking for that, isn't that what that question is asking about? 
Yes and no, because behaviors can also be analytical or technical in nature, right? Like, so you can be asking them about how they behave, but then like, depending on what skills they choose to highlight, the skills might lend themselves more to your ability to manage yourself and others versus your ability to analyze data or your ability to um, write or communicate effectively. Interesting. I want to dig on that, but let's go into, you told me that there, so maybe define what EQ is, emotional intelligence, and then let's go into the components of it. And then maybe I'm going to poke on that again. Okay, let's do it. So EQ is defined as the capacity to be aware of control and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. That's like the meat of what we're here for, Rami, right? I like it. I like whenever anything ends with empathetically. That sounds so nice. It does sound nice. So there's four components of EQ. And I think it's helpful to almost visualize a four square, a quadrant, if you will. So we've got awareness and management. Okay. Um, Awareness. Are we putting awareness on the top, bottom, left, or right? Let's put awareness on top. Okay. So the top two quadrants are awareness and the bottom two quadrants are management. Yes. Okay. And then on the other axis is yourself, self-awareness. So left side is self. Okay. And the and social or relationship awareness. Right side is social or relationship. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So four quadrants then are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management, or social management. So self-awareness is defined as the ability to read your own emotions and intuitively know how they are affecting others. Well, how do you think you do on self-awareness? I think I am almost too self-aware, and it really bothers my leadership, because I'll know when I'm being high or low in terms of my own emotions, and I'll like preemptively try to fix and balance myself out, Hmm. which makes them uh, turning on lights for me, less exciting because I'm in a room that's already lit. I, I I think this comes with knowing your strengths and weaknesses and knowing your own uh, emotional chart and being willing to like dig into it. Mm. So I don't think there is such a thing as too much self-awareness. Uh, I like genuinely I don't. So we'll get into that maybe a little I, bit later. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that, Shannon. <laughs> It just surprises me when you say, I think, to a fault. And I wonder if maybe that goes more into the next quadrant of self-management. So your ability to control your own emotions and act with honesty and integrity in reliable and adaptable ways. Sounds like you're also very high in self-management because you are aware of how you're feeling and then you course correct. Yes. So self-awareness is the ability to read your emotions. Yes. Self-management is the ability to control your emotions. Yes. Okay. So then jumping into the other focus, right? So your social awareness. This is defined as having key abilities of empathy and organizational intuition. Um, So what this looks like is really having expertise to read the current office and to change your actions and words when the impact that you're having is negative. Got it. So social awareness is just preventing a negative impact? Um. I think it's the ability to read. Okay. And then kind of going back to how we defined self-awareness and management, right? First is the ability to read. So Mm -hmm. with self-awareness, it's the ability to read your own emotions. With social awareness, it's the ability to read other people's emotions. Um, And 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 the mood, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. 
And then we move into the last quadrant, which is about managing those relationships. So that's defined as your ability to clearly communicate um, and convincingly disarm conflicts and build strong personal bonds. Got it. Okay, so social awareness, you read the office and the mood and make sure that you're aware of how you're impacting it. Yep. And then relationship management is then using that understanding to make a stronger workplace. Correct. Well said, Rami. Interesting. Okay, so we know the four components, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management. We know what it is. So should we should we hop into the dirt and tactical level? I think we should. Okay, so Shannon, can you give us an example of a of a leader that you who had EQ that you really admired? Yeah, yeah. So it was actually my last leader in corporate America. Uh, she was a rock in a sea of chaos. Her ability to self-manage, I don't even know that I could possibly know the full extent that she was self-managing. What All that I knew from the outside is that she had recently come off of a, a failed team experience, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really didn't seem to let it phase her. And what I felt from her was expressing a lot of empathy for the current chaotic situation that her new division team was also in. Uh, and what I observed is her strong relationship management and her ability to disarm conflicts with other cross-functional partners easily and quickly. I want to dig into that. But my question for you is, do you think being so like solid at work had a impact on her outside of work? Do you think like she took a lot of that on at work? And so outside of work, it was like she kind of was carrying a lot of that burden. And that's only for her to know. And that's where it's tough for me to say, like, what is her? It's tough for us to assess someone else's for sure self-management, maybe. I don't know. Because sometimes I'm like, no, I can tell that person's not very self-aware. Maybe that's <laughs> judgmental of us, of me. That was not my perception. Like, I would say maybe something I would look for there is, did she have poor work-life balance? Okay. And I didn't see that in her whatsoever. Oh, wow. I really didn't. Like she would come in at nine and she set clear boundaries and she, you know, would get work with her personal trainer and come in late some days and did that for her. And we all knew that there was like a certain day of the week where she left at four thirty to go have a date with her husband. You know, like I just yeah. didn't get this impression that she was imbalanced because she was having to be uh, over index on EQ at work. That makes sense. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So I want to dig into the the piece of disarming conflict. So was it mm-hmm. you guys were getting like attacked and she was just really good at like helping them understand what their frustrations were driven by and, and how you guys were trying to fix them? Uh, not quite. It was more like she was good at seeking to understand. So I saw her as an individual who really sought to understand where these CFT partners, cross-functional teams partners were coming from. And then she didn't completely provide air cover for us, right? Like Mm -hmm. she, I remember having to do this one exercise that I just did not think we should be doing. But looking at it in hindsight, I can see that this was her way of managing the social relationships effectively. So even though she maybe also knew this is not worth our time, she saw that it it could be worth our time from an EQ standpoint of mm-hmm. relationship management. 
and uh, compromising with this particular partner. Got it. So I'm going to go out on a limb and of the four components, it seems like she's super strong in the relationship management. And I think the social awareness, because you said she had a lot of strong empathy. Mm. Did you see a lot of the first two, the self-awareness and self-management from her? Or was it really that like that social relationship piece? I do think I saw the first one in self-awareness because I remember her saying, her sharing with us as her new team, like, here are five things that I'm really strong at and here's where I'm going to need your help. Mm -hmm. And that communicated self-awareness to me. And I remember one of the things she shared is I'm really good at being a rock when things are blowing up. So if you need me for that, I can be that. Mm -hmm. And then the self-management piece... I, I cannot think of a time where I perceived her as overly emotional or like unable to control her emotions whatsoever. And yet it still felt very much authentic and full of integrity. Like I remember her sharing a vulnerable story about um, her sister being a teen mom. Don't even ask me how this came up in the workplace. <laughs> uh, but in that moment, I thought, oh, wow, like this isn't just her putting on a mask of like, I'm a strong person at the office, and then I go home and I'm a wreck. This is truly like who she is. Interesting. So it really was almost like a transparency. Yeah, yeah, which I value a lot in my leaders. Yeah, there's something really, I want to say relatable, but I think it's like almost like you are drawn to someone who you feel like is themselves Mm. and is more natural. But but look, that probably comes back to self-awareness and self-management and understanding mm. how those two work mm. and being higher on the EQ level to have the ability to be a more natural person. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Rami? Is there an example of someone else or yourself that comes to mind on this topic of EQ? Certainly not myself. Um, I had a boss who I really, really liked and the whole team really liked him. And it's because of the same things that you're saying about, about your boss that you had. It was when we had difficult times, he was able to like hunker down and, and be a rock in that moment. And I think when he was unflinching in what we needed to do, where like everything around us kept changing, it's kind of that thing where, Like the company's priorities are going to change a lot, Mm -hmm. but you as a team can't continue to pivot because it's very hard to do in almost any industry. And especially when you and I worked in that huge corporation, the swing would always be get in stock or bring down inventory. (laughs) And it's really hard to do both of those at the same time. But if your goal is perpetually to be in the middle of those two, Mm. In the times where they go, okay, we really need you to be in stock this week. You go, okay, we'll make minor changes to what we're doing. Yeah. They go, okay, we need you to bring down inventory. And you go, okay, we'll make minor changes to what we're doing because we're trying to tread that line. I think that makes the the waves and kind of all the fury around you seem more calm when that person is that rock in the middle of all of that saying, well, this is what we're doing. We know that this is the right path. And we'll make minor adjustments, but it's not going to be a whiplash of, okay, we need to fully pivot into this one thing. And then in two weeks, we're going to fully pivot back. And you know what? All of our lead times are eight weeks. So anything we're doing now actually makes no difference for the next six to seven weeks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm hearing that you appreciated that leader 
because of the consistency in the strategy. Yes. And I think too, it's that ability for them to always know when the team needed to be pulled or needed to be pushed Mm. and to like clearly articulate what that meant and what Mm. that what we needed to do to get either the pull or the push. Mm. It sounds like strong relationship, social awareness and management from Mm -hmm. that leader. What about the self awareness and management? Anything you can think of there? You know, it's super weird because when I think about self-awareness and self-management, it's almost like you should see more of that person's, uh, how do I articulate this? It's almost like I would expect to see more of that person's uh, emotional swings or more of just them emotionally, Mm. whether or not it's a swing. It's just them being more transparent in their own feelings Mm-hmm. But I never saw any of that from him. Hmm. Like, I could I, never get a good feel because he was so even. Like, you couldn't ever tell, like, what was going on with him because he was very even. And how did that impact you? I don't know. I think it was, like, one of those things where you're like, oh, no, he's always, like, that's just how he is. Like, he's always that same level. And, like, if things are bothering him outside of work, we don't know. If things are bothering him inside of work, you can't really tell. Mm. You could only really tell as we got closer and closer to his, like, push out and exit in that, like, he was starting to get frustrated by, like, the organization. But until then, like, you almost had no feeling of any of that. Hmm. Yeah, that's where it's tricky. I think I joked earlier that we can be judgmental and assess someone else's self-awareness and self-management. But it's tough to know maybe how much they are managing on the Mm -hmm. inside, you know, like maybe... It doesn't sound like it, but maybe he was busting his butt trying to manage the internal landscape, if you will, Mm -hmm. to just present within that tiny range of possible emotions. Um, And maybe someone who has seems to have big emotions is actually also really working to manage (laughs) to try to tighten up their range. For sure. Um, It's a tough one. Yeah. So should we hop into ourselves maybe as we stay in this dirt tactical level yeah so i can go first (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well how do we want to do this do we want to kind of do our own self-assessment of the four quadrants or just kind of share some themes what feels good i think i think talking through where we know we're weak and why we know that might be interesting yeah so i think i have the most work to do on the self element Uh, I've come a long way in my self-awareness and I'm working on my self-management. I'll put it that way. I remember as a new young leader of a team, it was very much our company's culture. Be you. Like you should get to be your authentic self every day. And I probably towards the end took that to an extreme place. Well, towards the middle took that to an extreme place of thinking that that meant that I could just show up with whatever baggage I was bringing in that day. <laughs> just like all there showing everybody all what's there. up. Yep. Yep. I'm, I didn't sleep well. I'm mad about it. Whatever. <laughs> that's like being, you know, a little flippant, but essentially that's kind of how I led my first team uh, with my emotions on my sleeve a little bit. And I remember having a very negative connotation with the words executive presence. 
when I first became a coach, I was like, what is this thing that we allegedly coach people on? Executive presence. Come on, Shannon. Executive presence is easy. I know exactly (laughs) what that means. So what you do is you go into a meeting with a lot of people and you let them have their meeting. And then at the end, you say, I agree. And then you just walk out while you have your cell phone in your hand and you're looking at it. Yes. Yuck, 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 yuck. Yeah. So I had a very negative connotation with trying to change this about myself. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, you don't, don't try to change me. This is who I am. I'm a highly emotive person. And I am um, still. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what I would say that I learned and actually that reading this article was when it really shifted for me was to change the question. I don't even know if this next part is going to be a question, but to change it in my mind from like, uh, how do I show up? as my most authentic self mm-hmm. every day at work to instead changing it is how can I show up as my best self at work and still mm. be authentic, right? Like I want to be authentic, but I wasn't doing a lot of self-care outside of the workplace. You know, like I wasn't really being mindful of taking time for what I needed or taking a mental health day if I needed it. I would just push through and power through and let that show on my sleeve, yep. <laughs> if you will. And now I think of it more as... Uh, for myself personally and for my clients, how do I, how do we help them and, and myself um, care for ourselves in such a way that we're able to show up highly emotionally intelligent at work every day because we're well cared for? Yeah, I think you're hitting it on the nose. I think it's if you can focus on your self awareness and understand yourself when you need kind of to be nice to yourself or when you need to kind of pull yourself up. then I think it helps you with that self-management. And I think the two of those intrinsically allow you to be a truer version of yourself and probably a a more buttoned up and workplace version of yourself. Yeah. And when you said buttoned up, that didn't, honestly, like I rejected that a little bit because I don't know if I'm saying you need to be buttoned up, but just present. It's like dropping the word executive presence and instead just thinking, okay, how can I bring my most present self to work every day? And for me personally, I know that that happens when I am feeling the most cared for, when I'm really caring for myself. It's easy to care for others as a leader. I get that. I want to go back to this buttoned up piece. Yeah. So I knew, but I, I think I think <laughs> I think you have to like somewhat soften that edge, though, don't you think? What edge? Like the the emotive edge like i think if you're taking good care of yourself that in and of itself like softens kind of the emotional roller coaster that you're going through yeah i can't disagree with that i I can't disagree with that i think that's been my own experience um and i don't want to label things as good or bad but i guess we are yeah i would say that when when you (laughs) ask others to ride the emotional roller coaster of your highs and lows that's a big ask. And instead, maybe shifting it. Oh, I don't know if I agree with this, but I guess I do. Um, <laughs> so, I'm like really working this out as we're podcasting about no, it. No, I like it. Yeah, like your permission to feel your feelings, right? Yes. Permission to feel your feelings, permission to have awareness of your feelings. And instead, then like, what's the very next question? Okay, and and what do I need? What can I give myself to shift from whatever I'm feeling, if I know that it's going to negatively impact others. There it is. That's it. Right there. Maybe, yeah, that's that's what I can get on board with. And not in an authentic way. Not in an inauthentic way, like button it up, like cover it up, hide it, disclo- like keep it secret. But more, how do you change it so that yes. you're not even having to hide it? Like, because you're just n- not feeling that way anymore. 
So that in and of itself, that statement right there gets us from self-awareness, reading your own emotion, self-management, controlling that emotion into social awareness, which is making sure that it doesn't have a negative impact. Yeah. Uh, Rami, what about you? Where are you working or thinking on this EQ business? For sure. I think the biggest thing for me is I am perpetually optimistic. Um, and, and I would say in times of failure, in times of, uh, of when, when we aren't being as successful as we want, I'm just going to say failure again. I think for me, I'm so solution oriented that I just start to look at how do we how do we move? How do we how do we solve this? And I know and I always feel like there is a solution at hand that we can use to get to where we need to. So I think for me, it's it's social awareness. And I think the self management are the biggest pieces for me, because the one thing we say in self management here in the definition is in reliable and adaptable ways. And I think coming down from that and being able to say something like, this sucks. <laughs> mm. Like this is a really crappy situation that we're in mm. and being able to kind of um, be true to my emotions in that state, I think is something that I perpetually am working on because yeah. it's more difficult for me when I just look at a situation and go, yep, this sucks. Okay. How do we fix it? Now let's start talking about the fix mm. where the biggest piece of all of that, I think in terms of social awareness is that's going to have a super negative impact on everybody who just spent six months doing this thing. Yep. Yep. Like you need to embrace and acknowledge the suck. And then once that has like thoroughly been like talked through, everybody feels like they've gotten their emotions out and they they've acknowledged the suck. Yeah. Then you kind of wait for everybody to kind of warm up to the idea of, okay, now let's figure out how to fix this. But sometimes you have to sit in that for a little bit of time before you can jump right into solution. I know being perpetually optimistic, I would rather think about the good and figuring out how to fix rather than living in that. Yeah. And you're right. That's so important. In coaching a lot, we'll talk about expressing overt empathy. And so when you skip that step, it's it, it negatively impacts the relationship that you have with your client because they don't feel acknowledged or heard. So it sounds like you're feeling that same thing in the workplace. Like you're noticing that about yourself. Like, oh, wow, when I skip this step and I just go to my optimistic problem solving mode and I miss the part of expressing overt empathy to them, <clears throat> excuse me, it prevents you maybe from building the bond or the relationship, if you will. For Is sure. a fair? Yes. Okay. Thank you for coaching me, Shannon. I appreciate that. I, mean, I didn't coach you. I just said like it comes up in coaching too. I need to work on my executive presence. I'll work on that. I'm working on my perception of executive presence. Let's just call it presence. <laughs> presence. I like that. Okay, so let's hop into bringing this home. Yeah. So so how do we how do we take some of this? How do we apply it? Yeah. How do we get better? Yep. Yep. I'm a proponent of awareness and always <laughs> starting there in coaching. We say all the time, awareness is 80% of the change. So I think if you had to focus on awareness or management, if you will, focus on awareness and then I'll leave it up to you. If you think you need to work more on self-awareness or social awareness a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think picking just one of the quadrants to work on and I'm going to make the case for awareness again and committing to building your awareness of how you're feeling 
what energy you're showing up to work with each day and how it might be impacting others. I think that's right on the nose. I think too, as you're thinking about it, the big thing to do, and I think this is where Shannon and I kind of thinking back on our leadership helped us kind of unpack what it was that we saw out of leaders who had a lot of EQ. Mm -hmm. And what I will always tell you and what I tell everybody is like, steal as much as possible from the people that inspire you or from the people that you've really respected. Mm -hmm. And so if there are traits from a person that during certain situations you really respected and you really uh, felt driven by, steal those, take them, mm -hmm. because those are good things to add to your arsenal of, of building up that EQ. In the same way that you build your IQ by reading things and, and stealing knowledge, like steal mm -hmm. from people who are giving you that free knowledge and think back on those instances when you saw really high EQ. Because EQ isn't something that you just sit down and, and learn. It's not, it's not no. the same as like building your knowledge in other pieces. It's really something that you perpetually work at. And the people who probably have the highest EQs are the ones who look at these four components and are, are thinking about them on a very regular basis to say, where is my self-awareness? Where is my self-management? How is my social awareness right now? And how is my relationship management? And they're constantly working at those things. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of the same as your physical well-being, right? If you're not, yeah, yeah, if you're not doing those workouts at the same rate, like you can feel that your body isn't functioning as well as it could. And I think mm -hmm. EQ is the same thing. Like you just have to work at it and be cognizant of it. Agreed. All right. So that's been Workplace Hugs season one. Season one. Is that weird? We just wrapped up a whole season. We had 12 episodes. It's in the books. So can can we preview what's going to happen between season one and two? Yeah, Shannon? please do. What's going to happen, Rami? <laughs> I feel like I'm telling you this for the first time, but we've talked about it. And so hopefully no, this did. is not we surprising. Did. Did. It's not a surprise. <laughs> You're just better at talking about it. <laughs> so, so what we're going to do, I think, between season one and two is some side hugs. So what we're going to do, rather than unpack a book, an article, something bigger, we're going to go down to like a very small level and unpack very uh, smaller pieces or even things that aren't really driven from any specific piece of literature, as it were, but maybe more experiential and things that we wished we would have known during various aspects of our careers. Yep. Well said. I am really excited for side hugs. I am too. I think it's going to be all empathy. It'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I've been Shannon. And I've been Rami. And this has been Workplace Hugs. Thanks for listening. Bye.